Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Sorry, I didn't have my mic on. Good to see those of you who are here. You guys heard me, but good to see you guys outside as well. And those of you who are joining on YouTube now, again, thank you for joining us. Um, And we look forward to, again, seeing you guys more often in ways like this. Um, We are moving forward and what we're trying to do is prepare for whatever is in store so that we can gather in safe ways. That's why we have the canopies outside. Um, And even if there is uh, another spike, we are hoping to be able to stay distanced and safe so that we can continue meeting from here on out, Lord willing. uh, You know, who knows what all is going to take place in the future. I was looking back, and on May 20, March 22nd, we had our first virtual gathering where we stopped meeting, so it's been almost a year since we were together, and so that's crazy just to think about it. But I'm so glad that we are kind of gathering even in this way, but we do want to keep safety a uh, priority, and so we encourage you guys to Join us if you feel safe. We are masked. uh, We are distanced. We are outside. We're inside a little bit of each. And we also want to be able to invite a few of you who would like to come on Wednesdays to our take two. If you'd like to join us, I don't think we're going to have a large group. So if a few people here, if we had five, six people, it wouldn't be a problem to set up and have us distanced as well, kind of like we are here this morning. So that's an invitation if you'd like to join us because we'd love to have some input Uh, I really enjoy that time, but it'd be great to have more participation with that. A couple of other announcements that we just want to let you know about. Uh, Again, we are going to be getting meals for the ER people at San Antonio this month. I don't have a date yet. I will talk with the nursing uh, staff there and see when we can do that. We'll probably use Hitchburger and Grill again, developing that relationship with them. As I mentioned last time, they do... Uh, this kind of thing where they take food to people on a regular basis. And so uh, the owner is going to get in touch with me. And if we want to volunteer to help with something like that, we can. And hopefully uh, we will be able to participate with them and be doing something good during this time. Um, In the meantime, there is opportunity. If you would like to help take meals to people, we can join in with Meals on Wheels. If you are interested in that information, please see me. Uh, They take about 50 to 60 meals, I believe it is, a week 
right now. Uh, they meet on Monday through Friday at the Presbyterian Church there in Upland, and they could use some volunteers for setup and cleanup, and the meals are driven to homes at about 10.15 to noon. So if that's a window of time that works and you want to give in this way, let me know. I can give you the name of Aaron, and you can contact them and work something out. They'll train you and put you there. You know, you don't have to go into homes and have conversations. Basically, you're dropping meals off to people who are kind of shut in and can't go out and get the meals. And so if you'd like to do that, see me and I can give you that information. But I thought that would be a great way of just practically helping out in ways that we can. I think that's it for the announcements. Um, Today, we are continuing in our desire series, and this is really getting to the heart part two. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about how we measure time, and we're kind of leaning into that a little bit more. This morning, I want to talk to you about a song by Queen, John F. Kennedy, Ben Klinger, and Small Dog Syndrome, okay? And Ben and small dog syndrome aren't correlated, just so you know. As we were talking a few weeks back, we were talking about the different ways that we measure time. And we talked about uh, the two Greek gods. We talked about Kronos and we talked about Kairos. We talked about how Kronos is where we get our word chronology. And it's a unit of time, a measure of time, where Kairos is really an opportune time. And so where one is measuring a unit of time, the other is measuring a essence of time, right? Have you heard something like it's crunch time, right? Where it's time to get something done. Or if you're a Laker fan, it's prime time. Um, It really has to do with moments of time that bring about change. And it can be a number of things. It could be where, where truth is revealed, uh, where change is able to be grasped, that this is a moment that's going to change. Uh, oftentimes, like you're having a wedding, that's a, a moment of change where it's a kairos moment or a child is born. Or it could be life is being shaped at this point. Last week, we looked at really two kairos moments of Judas and a Peter where Judas was choosing to betray Jesus and where Peter would choose to deny Jesus. Those are kairos moments. And and it's not like always a good thing, but it's a moment that marks their life. It's a moment that marks the change. And we want to continue kind of leaning into those things and seeing them. Because these are times when God is working and we are aware of it. But we have to be able and willing to see it, and to step into them. And this is all part of this transformation that we are talking about. And we are staying here in this idea of grace and truth, this grace and truth quadrant, and we are looking at our wants, our desires, our heart, and how important that is to who we are. So if you can, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35. And I love this passage of scripture. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, and said to him, 
Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Let's just stop there, okay? What the heck, right? We're going to go to Jesus and we're going to say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. I wonder, am I missing something in the translation here? Am I losing something? Were they really that forward? And then I remember that they are young men, maybe even in their teens. And then it starts to make a little more sense, right? Because there's this, I don't know what you would call it of youth that is just so forward sometimes and so throw caution to the wind, that they would be able to do something like this. And, and there was a, a song by Queen that came to mind when I think of this. It's that song, I Want It All. I don't know if you guys know it or not. If you do, sing with me. Um, it's, it ain't asking much. It ain't much I'm asking if you want the truth. Here's to the future. Here's the cry of youth. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. And it's a great song. Go check it out and listen to it. it it's so much captures this idea. Here's the cry of youth. I want it all and I want it now. Here they are just gung-ho. Jesus, give us whatever we want. Two things stand out to me in, in this. First, that they felt that they could ask this. What is the dynamic of this relationship with Jesus that they could go up to him and ask something like this? We want you to give to us whatever we ask with no intimidation. Well, maybe some intimidation, right? One of the other gospels says their mom went up to them. But still to be able to step into this. And this is so contrary to the ideas of leadership maybe that we see or understand. And even in the church, that someone would go and ask someone who's in charge, give me whatever I want. When we see abuse of power, it's always in reverse, where you don't tell me what you want, I'll tell you what you need to do. But there isn't that attitude here. It's the reverse of that. The the second thing that strikes me is the question itself. What an audacious ask. Give us whatever we ask. James and John felt free enough to ask this. This is a Kairos moment where what is in these two disciples is being revealed. It's coming out. Something about this moment is going to shape this conversation going on, and it's meant to shape them as well. How would a person of importance, a powerful leader, respond to this? Right. What would be the answer of a president or of a celebrity pastor if someone came up to them and said, hey, I want you to give me whatever I ask? Because Jesus' response in verse 36, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I love that. He, he doesn't rebuke them. He leans in. 
right? This isn't a John F. Kennedy, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He says, what do you want me to do? He, he pushes into their ask. He pushes into their want, wanting to pull it out of them. He doesn't say, don't you know who I am? It's me, Jesus. You don't ask me. I'm supposed to tell you what to do. Don't you know how this whole disciple thing works? He actually cares about what they have to say. He presses in, asks what they want, and they, being who they are, these sons of thunder, they just dig the hole deeper. And we see that in verse 37. They said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Now, this is not a seating chart for dinner, right? They aren't asking just for a seat at a table to sit next to Jesus. They are asking for a position in his cabinet. They are asking for a position of power. They are wanting to have this prestige in this kingdom that he's ushering in. The idea of glory isn't when you get to heaven, the idea of glory is when you are empowered and in control. Jesus, when you take over, give us the two highest positions. Again, what an audacious ask. To be able to open up and request something of this nature to Jesus. And again, notice Jesus' response in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. They didn't even know what it was, right? And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, this is a revelation of what the disciples wanted. They're wanting something. And it would seem what they're wanting is recognition and they're wanting some power and authority. We want to be in this cabinet of this new kingdom and we want to be on the right hand and the left. We want to have these positions that are prominent, these positions that have power. This is what we're asking you. They wanted to be players in this new kingdom. They didn't want to be bystanders. And how does Jesus respond to James and John? No rebuke, no how dare you ask me this. Instead, an invitation to participate, but in a different way. What does he do with their question and their desire driving it? That's where he gets to it. See, because we have this tendency to think that desire is bad. All right, we've been talking about that the few, past few weeks, where this idea of what you want, oh, no, that's, that's bad. We, we need to die to ourselves, and, and it's not about what we want, and yet we see Jesus always leaning into what people want. 
And so we, we label desire as bad or, or recognition as bad or ambition is bad, but often it's the misguided use of these things that is wrong, not the thing itself. That desire is not bad, that ambition is not bad, that recognition isn't bad in itself, but it can be bad when it is used just for self. The truth is the kingdom of God needs people like James and John, and instead of squashing their desire, Jesus names them, places them before them, and then redirects them to what the desire needs to look like in his kingdom rather than in the kingdom that they're in. Every vice, it's said, is a virtue gone wrong. Right? That there's nothing wrong with the desire. There's nothing wan, wrong with wanting to bring about change or be a part of change. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious and wanting to do well to succeed. But when it turns and becomes self-serving, that's the problem. And then there's another kairos that takes place as this is happening in verse 41. It says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. The ten other disciples hear James and John and they are indignant. How dare they ask this of Jesus? When we've seen in other places in the gospel that they were all fighting for position. They all wanted to be great. And this kingdom that Jesus is starting, they were all arguing about who was the greatest among them. And so their indignation towards them isn't so much because just what they're asking, it's because of how it relates to them. And here's another kairos, when we get angry, when we get indignant, when we get frustrated, when we get jealous, it's telling us something. It, it's speaking to what we want. And instead of just responding in a negative way, we have to find another way to respond. Because the disciples aren't the only ones who got indignant when Jesus would say something. Ben's going to come up right now and share another time where we see that people are upset because of Jesus. Ben, come on up. And other notorious sinners, they often gathered around uh, to listen as Jesus taught the people. And this raised concerns among the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and they complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners, and he welcomes them all to come to him. Like Sam was sharing, Sam asked me last night the question, why do you think the Pharisees got angry and grumbled within themselves and, and said that? And I was like, wow, that's a great question. Um, Right off the bat, I thought, well, maybe their view of God was one that was so royal and regal that they didn't think lower-class citizens or sinners had any place to associate with God. 
maybe they were um, a little bit jealous that they wanted to be in the presence of a rabbi and that these sinners didn't deserve to be in the presence of a rabbi. But remember, this whole series is about desire and about wants. And when we talked about it, it, it seems pretty evident that the Pharisees were angry because of something deep down that they wanted. And we can look at the course of scriptures and all the other stories in scripture, and and we can pretty much assume that they were jealous of Jesus and the following that Jesus had. Jesus had all kinds of people, thousands of people, following him around to listen to his teachings and talking about Jesus, and Pharisees didn't have that. They didn't have the notoriety, the praise from the people. They didn't have crowds following them around. So I think it was pretty revealing to see Uh, that their anger was caused by something deep down that they wanted. And it was probably the notoriety that they wanted from the people. Um, Sam and I were talking about, you know, getting cut off on the road or those other little things in our lives that make us angry. And now I will always look for something deeper in my life, something that I want maybe that's causing those emotions. It's usually not on the surface. It's usually not because the person cut you off and now you're going to be... uh, you know, five seconds late or wherever, wherever you're going, it's it's usually something deeper uh, that you either think that you're a better driver than that person or you think that you're a better person or you deserve to be in front of that person in that moment. So, uh, yeah, very interesting to, to tie those things together, how our desires uh, play out into our frustrations and anger. Thanks, Ben. There are so many examples where we see the emotion show up, and the emotion is there because of a want, because of something that is desired that leads to emotion that is opportunity, actually, if a person would lean into it to develop something. The Pharisees and the disciples chose to focus their attention on those who provoked their emotions rather than to focus on those emotions themselves. Because if they could focus on the emotion, they could start to see the jealousy. They could start to see envy. They could start to see the things that are provoking them in these areas of emotion. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do, right? This is trying to get to the heart of the matter, the things that motivate us to do the things that we do. Instead of looking at symptoms, let's get to the source, let's get to the cause, let's get to what really is buried within us. Because the disciples weren't mad at the other disciples just because they said this to Jesus. They were mad because of where it put them. See, if they weren't, if they were at the right hand and the left hand, then they weren't. And that was really at the key of what was taking place here. And if we insist on this kind of thinking uh, of, you know, I, I need to say the right things, I need to do the right things, but we don't ever deal with the heart, we aren't, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, dealing with wholeness. We're not dealing with the totality of who we are. We're just dealing with the the things that are above this surface uh, of observation. We are going to be like the Pharisees. We're going to be like the disciples in this situation. 
You know, there is something that's called small dog syndrome. And what it is, is when people get small dogs and the small dogs act like they're big dogs, right? They act all tough. And this is not the small dog's fault. It's not that this dog has the the wrong attitude about itself. Now, some dogs have hyperactivity. I mean, small dogs are still dogs. Yorkies were bred to hunt mice in London in the houses. That's what they were bred for. All dogs are predators. All dogs fill in this, and they might be a little more hyperactive than other dogs, but dogs are dogs. And what makes small dog syndrome isn't the dog, but it's how the dogs are treated by the people. You see, if a Yorkie was bred to hunt mice in houses, and you decide instead you're going to put clothes on it and put it in a purse... You've changed the nature of the dog. And so, of course, the dog thinks it's big stuff. It doesn't even have to walk. You carry it around wherever it goes, and you have its own name on its own shirt. And I've gone to homes where the dogs eat better than people. I was going to say better than me, but that, that would I got to go home, so... And the problem is that the dogs are put into an environment where they aren't really allowed to be dogs. And from that place, they start developing issues like a codependency. And so a little dog is jumping on your leg, always asking for attention, always saying, pet me, pick me up, pick me up, pick me. And you go, oh, how cute. Look at them. They love me. It's cute because it's a five-pound dog. If it was an 80-pound lab, it wouldn't be cute but it's still a dog. And so what's happening is you're encouraging behavior that's not consistent with who the dog really is, and so the dog gets confused and thinks that they are in charge. And so they get attitude and they get fearful, and so when they're afraid, they think they got to do something, and so they start barking at every person who comes in. They start chasing the heels of people, and we think, oh, yeah, it's small dog syndrome. No, it's the dog isn't allowed to be a dog, and so it doesn't know how to be a dog, and so it becomes obnoxious. We can find the same thing with ourselves. If we don't get to be who we really are, including our desires, then it it shows up in a restrained life. It shows up in an anxious life. It shows up in a pretend life. When we attempt to live our faith by just words and works, by merely knowing more and doing better, we end up in a cage of certitude and moralism. We tie holiness and growth to sinning less and knowing more. When our desires, our wants are not on the table for discipleship, we're left trying to steamroll them, right? Just get rid of them, ignore them, or carefully gratify them in safe or hidden ways. But they're never changed. The only way the dog gets better is when it's allowed to be a dog and dealt with as a dog, and then it becomes who it's supposed to be. The only way we are changed is when we're allowed to be 
human who we were created to be and changed by the totality of who we are. This is where that idea of wholeness comes in and takes shape. And so Jesus goes on in, in verse 42 in Mark chapter 10, and he brings clarity to this picture of what this kingdom looks like and who we're supposed to be. And Jesus called them, all of the disciples, to him, said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not squash what James and John wanted. He reformed it. Jesus didn't ignore the other disciples' resentment. He redirected it and gave a comparative example. You know what it's like when these people are over you and they treat you like this. Are you really wanting to be like they are to you? And they had to get to their own attitude, their own heart. They had to see where they were caged in a mentality of thinking, where they were trapped in this idea that, you know, this is how we're supposed to live and this is what's important to God. It's about what we say, it's about what we look like and never get to who we really are. And so Jesus takes what is in us, the desires that we have, the ambitions that we have, the drive that we have, the the energies that we have, and he wants to move them in a way that is into who we are supposed to be. It's the genuine human. It's the human that God created in his own image that bears that image, not the, the small dog syndrome human. It is the human that is in the image of Christ. And this is where he is pushing us to, to own these things. Last week, we talked about how even in our worst moments, Jesus wants the desire on the table. Judas, you're gonna betray me. Let's put that here and let's acknowledge it because that's what's happening. Peter, you're going to deny me. Let's put that on the table and let's acknowledge it because if we don't name it, it stays buried. It never gets to come to the surface or be a part of the change that needs to take place. And so instead of dealing with, well, what you want is to rule. What you want is power. What you want is these other disciples not to get in your way. What you want is these sinners and other people to follow you and not Jesus. What you want is here. And instead of dealing with that, we'll keep it buried. And then it never changes. And how liberating is it 
to have Jesus lean into these two young, audacious men who say, I want you to give me whatever I want. We want to be the people second in power to you. And I can almost see Jesus laughing and just saying, you don't know what you're asking because my kingdom doesn't work that way. And when he says, can you drink of the cup of partaken with things I'm going to, the baptism, he's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about his death. And when they say, yeah, we can, I can imagine his heartbreaking saying, you will. You will. And sometimes it's a heavy thing to see your children grow up and go through life and go through heartache that you've gone through. And it's a hard thing to watch, but it's a beautiful thing to see maturity come from it. It's a wonderful thing to see the transformation of this passion that moves from self to others, that moves from maybe being just about yourself to having children and raising kids. And you see the sacrifices your kids make and and you feel bad for them. And sometimes you go babysit for them. But at the same time, it's endearing because it's changing who they are, which is really what God is wanting to do change who we are, transform us, to help us grow, to mature, to not be caged, leashed animals, but be animals that are able to be functioning in the way we were supposed to, living how we were intended to. And now the challenge is when these Kairos moments happen, these times of frustration, indignation, these times of jealousy, these times of even desire and passion to see something happen, that we are able to pause and see them as opportune times that God is speaking to us. And if we will ask the questions, even as Jesus did, what do you want me to do for you? And we will listen to the answers honestly. Not, not put the whitewashed Christian thing over it, right? It's like that Sunday school lesson. Okay, kids, you know, what's gray, has a fluffy tail and climbs trees? Well, I think it's a squirrel, but we're at church, so I'll say Jesus, you know? It's like, <laughs> let's be honest. I desire his power. I desire authority. I would desire recognition. I desire that these people not be over me. What I desire is that they follow me instead of following Jesus. What I desire, and you fill in the blanks to your desires in that situation that rises up when you feel aggravated, when you feel empowered, whatever it is, ask the question, lean into it. Something is happening that's trying to get my attention to ask the deeper question of what do I want and how does this fit in with this model that Jesus just painted for us? You want to be great. Here's what it looks like. Become slave to everyone. You want to be first, but there's a new first in the kingdom and it's the one who stands back. And adjust our lives according to the things we see in Christ, but acknowledge the things 
that we see in us so that we can change, so that we can grow, so that we can be whole. And that's the only way we become holy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the honesty of Scripture in these stories. Thank you for James and John and their audacity. Thank you for the examples we have through others that reflect what we can see in ourselves. And it's my prayer, Lord, that we would do what you did, lean into the questions, ask what we need to, to get to the wants that are in us and allow transformation to take place deep within our lives, Lord. May we not minimize how important it is to understand the things that we desire and to not just label them bad, to not just squash them, to not try to steamroll them over so that they don't exist, but to allow you access to them and to reform them, to transform them and create something new within our hearts. And Father, I pray even now that maybe there are questions we are asking ourselves about things that we're feeling. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's fear. Something that has stood out to us where we are wondering, why is that there? May your spirit help us interpret what's going on. May we give you access to these areas of our life And in doing so, may you do the work that you can only do in changing us. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May you not sacrifice your desire. May you not lose the passion of your wants and your ambitions. But may you hear the voice of Jesus asking, what do you want? to do for you. May you meet him in the depths of your heart and be transformed. God bless you guys. Love you. Don't leave outside. Can't wait to talk to you guys. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.